So I've entitled this message, The Secret of Contentment. This is called The Secret of Contentment. Okay? Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13 is our text today. It's Philippians 4, 10 to 13. And then... Next time I, I, I teach, it's going to be Philippians 4, 10 to 20. We'll look at a different aspect. But today it's, today it's about contentment in Christ. Okay, let's go ahead and just ask God's help. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we invite you to come. We pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to open up our minds and our hearts to the truth of the Word of God. We thank you, Lord, that we have a living, inspired word that we can receive today. And, Lord, that it would do its work within our hearts. Lord, I, I, I truly believe that all of us need to learn the secret of contentment. The Lord, we would be so much better off if we were contented people. That we would express your love and your fullness to others so much more. And we, we pray that you would give us insight into that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's read Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So as the Apostle Paul is drawing this epistle to the Philippians to a close, he's got two things on his mind in this last final section. Starting in verse 10 all the way through verse 23. There's two things on his mind. Number one, he is thankful for the gift that the Philippians have recently sent him. Number two, he wants to impart this idea of contentment to the Philippians. He wants to teach them something about contentment. So giving and contentment are the two twin ideas that are coming forth from his pen as he's writing this final letter. Now we have to remember the historical situation. Paul's in prison in Rome. The church in Philippi knew of his imprisonment and knew that he would need help. Back then in those days, the prison didn't take care of the prisoners. They didn't give them three square meals a day and provide everything they needed. And so it was up to their friends and family to help them out. And so the Philippians got a gift together. And remember, the Philippians were a poor church. We know that from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. They were living in poverty themselves. But anyway, they gathered this gift and they, they set aside a guy in their church called Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus was the one who was going to take the gift and travel all the way to Rome, which would take months to get there in those days, and deliver the gift to Paul. In route, he got really sick. In fact, he almost died. But the Lord 
had mercy on him and he recovered. He delivered the gift to Paul. And now Paul is writing the book of Philippians and sending it back in Epaphroditus's hand. Epaphroditus delivers that letter back to the Philippians after delivering the gift. Okay? And so the very end of the letter, Paul just wants to thank them and commend them for their generosity and their love in sending a gift when he really had need. So that's the setting here, the historical situation. He's commending them for their gift. Um, now, these two twin subjects, contentment and giving, are both worthy of a separate message, and so that's why I'm going to take today and talk about contentment, and next time I teach, I'll be talking about Christian giving. Both of them are very important subjects. But before we dive into our text, let's just do a quick overview, a quick New Testament survey on the subject of contentment. What does the New Testament say about contentment? Luke chapter 3, verse 14. Here we have John the Baptist. He's baptizing all these people down at the River Jordan. And he's telling them, it's not enough for you to be baptized. You need to bring forth fruits in keeping with repentance. And so different people start asking him, well, what does that mean for us? And some soldiers came to John the Baptist and said, so what does that mean for us? And John says, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. So what does it mean for a soldier in the first century in the empire of Rome to bring forth fruits in keeping with repentance and meant that they were to live with contentment, that they were to be content with their wages. Now, the soldier's temptation would be to use his power and his position as a soldier to force people or to manipulate or abuse people into getting more money than they ought to have. And some soldiers would actually do that. Some that were immoral. Some that had no, no morals to speak of would actually use their position and power to extort money from people. John says, no, you need to be content with your wages. And then 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. Paul writes, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Food and covering. Does everyone here have food and covering? Do you have enough food to survive? Do you have some place to live? Do you have clothes? Well, according to Paul, then you should be content. You've got everything you need. And then the last one in the New Testament is Hebrews 13, verse 5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, so greed. You need to be content with what you have. Why? Because God has said, I'll never desert you, I'll never forsake you. That's the reason why we are to be content, because we have a God who will never forsake us. He's never going to leave us. And that's the secret of contentment, as we're going to see in a few minutes. So, I think from these three New Testament texts, right on the surface, we can clearly see that contentment is the will of God for the Christian. We have John the Baptist telling soldiers that's a fruit of repentance. We have Paul telling Timothy that he should be content if he has food and covering. And we have the author of Hebrews telling his readers that they should be content because God's never going to forsake them. So it's the will of God, and it's the will of God for us today that we would live in contentment. 
which tells me that the opposite of contentment, discontentment, would be sin. If contentment is a virtue that God is, God is pleased with, then discontentment is a sin that God is not pleased with. So if we are not content today, we need to own up to that, and we need to realize that it's not God's will, and we need to repent of that. And find a way in Christ that we can live in contentment. So with that as a short introduction, I want us to get into Philippians, and I'm just going to show you three truths about contentment. Number one, contentment is inward. Number two, contentment is learned. And number three, contentment is in Christ. Those are our three things we're going to see from Philippians. So first, contentment is inward. Let's start off trying to understand what the idea of contentment is. What, how would we define contentment? So it's interesting, the, the Greek word is made up of two words. Like we have compound words, don't we? Bathroom, those two words put together. Well, contentment is like that. It was two Greek words put together. The one word meant self. The other word meant sufficiency. So if you put them together, self-sufficiency. But that's really not the idea. It's not, contentment is not that the Christian is self-sufficient. It's that he, his sufficiency is within him because Christ dwells in him. His sufficiency is in Christ. So he is self-sufficient in the sense that he doesn't have to get his sufficiency from any outward circumstances or situations. It all comes from what he already has within him because Christ dwells within the Christian. So contentment then is to be satisfied with one's own inner being no matter what your lot in life happens to be. The modern meaning of contentment is not needing more. Feeling like what you have is already enough. Being satisfied or at peace with your possessions, status, or situation. Let me repeat that one. Being satisfied or at peace with your possessions, status, or situation. It's the opposite of greed and dissatisfaction. So, we need to be clear here. There are a lot of things that we should never be content with. We're not saying we should be content with everything. We should never be content with the sin in our lives. Well, that's fine that there's sin in my life. I just, I, that's the way it is. I'm just not going to worry about that. No, that's not what God wants. He wants you fighting sin the rest of your life and never to be satisfied if you see sin cropping up in your life. We should never be content with the needs and suffering of people around us when we have the means to help and to do something about it. We should never be content for people to die and go to hell when we could speak the gospel to them. So there's a lot of things that we should never be content with. But when we speak of contentment, we're speaking about our possessions, our status, or our situation in life. The outward things in our life. And I think the problem today is that everyone knows instinctively that they should be content, but they're seeking their contentment outwardly rather than inwardly. The average American is going to move 11.7 times in his life. Now, I counted up all the places I've lived since I was a little kid, and it was 16 times. 11 times since I got married. <laughs> so maybe that means I'm not content. Am I always looking for something better, you know, thinking that life will be better if I just change my house, change my location? The average length of a marriage in the United States is 8.2 years. And then we just 
go on and find somebody else and think we're going to be happier if we just have a new person as our marriage partner. 8.2 years, that's not very good, is it? If we went back 150 years, I think the stats would be a lot different back then. One family psychologist did a study on discontented boredom among suburban affluent children. So these are upper middle class kids. And he discovered that on average a five-year-old child owns 250 toys. He's only been alive 260 weeks. So he has almost one toy for every week of his life. That's, that's quite an accumulation of toys. <laughs> so has our experience taught us that we're more content the more toys we have? We think if we just get that other toy, then I'll really be content. It doesn't work that way, does it? Do we think the more meals we eat out, the more content we'll be? Or the more movies we watch, the more content we'll be. Or the more money we have in the bank, the more content we'll be. It's actually quite the opposite. Because the more we have, the more we want, and the less content we are. Having more some, kind of works in reverse. Sometimes it just uh, it increases greed rather than curbs it. So the problem with finding contentment in these ways is that we're looking in all the wrong places. We're looking outward to find contentment. When in reality, contentment is inward. Contentment does not really uh, depend on outward circumstances. Do you remember our New Year's message for this year? I don't know if you'll even remember that, but I, my New Year's message for this year was rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I think contentment and joy are a lot alike. We are to rejoice in the Lord always. There's never a time when it's okay not to rejoice. Now why is that? Because the source of our joy never changes. Although our outward circumstances do, the inward source of eternal joy is in Christ. That never changes, so we are always to find our joy in Him. Contentment is the very same way. Though your outward circumstances change all the time, your source of real contentment in Christ never changes. And so we're to find it always in Him. Philippians 4.11 says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Now, think about that little phrase. Whatever circumstances I am. Whatever, meaning each circumstance, all circumstances, Whatever circumstance, no matter if that's a good circumstance or a bad circumstance, I've learned to be content in that. So that needs to be the same for us. Whatever circumstance you're going through at this time in your life, God's will is that you learn to be content in that circumstance. In verse 12, he tells us what those circumstances were like for him. He talks about humble means. He talks about going hungry. He talks about suffering need. So those were the bad circumstances that Paul went through. But he also talks about living in prosperity, being filled, and having abundance. So Paul sometimes had, had much, had great abundance in his life. His outward circumstances were great. There's other times when he lived in poverty. He didn't have enough food to eat. He 
sometimes was naked and cold. He, he tells us about this in Corinthians, the sufferings that he went through. So sometimes he was suffering, sometimes he was just enjoying abundance in his life. But Paul said, I had to learn to be content in both, in abundance and in need. When I was filled, when I was hungry, in both situations. So for Paul, it didn't matter if he was living in poverty or prosperity. He was content no matter what was going on. He was satisfied. He had enough. He was at peace. And this truth reminds me of that great hymn that Horatio Stafford, or it's actually Spafford, wrote, It Is Well With My Soul. I'll just retell the story really quickly for you. He and his family... Um, actually, his wife and four daughters were on a trip over to Europe. And he stayed behind. He was going to join them later. And on that trip, their ship was crossing the Atlantic and it collided with a powerful iron-hulled Scottish vessel. And within 12 minutes, there was a great gash within the, the side of their ship. And within 12 minutes, their boat had sunk and his four daughters were drowned. There was a sailor going around in a boat seeing if there was anyone that he could help and he spotted this woman holding on to a piece of wreckage and it was Anna, Horatio's wife. He pulled her on board and she was saved. And then nine days later they landed in Wales and she wired her husband Horatio and she said this, saved alone, what shall I do? Well Horatio booked passage on the next available ship he was going across the Atlantic four days in. The captain told him this is the spot where that accident took place. And that's when the words to that great hymn occurred to him. I think the Lord gave him some inspiration there. And he penned the words to, It is well with my soul. He said, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot... Thou has taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. That's contentment. He had nothing outwardly to find contentment in at that point. He had lost four daughters at one time. I mean, that's got to produce the most intense grief that you can experience, I would think. But in spite of that great grief, he was finding that it was well with his soul and the Lord Jesus had drawn near to him and he had drawn near to the Lord and he had found the contentment and the strength he needed to get through that crisis in his life. So the first thing we need to know about contentment is it's inward. It's not outward. It comes from within because Christ dwells within. Second thing about contentment we need to learn is that it's learned. Contentment is learned. He says in... Verse 11, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. I know how to get along with humble means and also know how to live in prosperity. Do you see there? He learned it. The contentment is not something that was intuitive to Paul. He wasn't born with the knowledge of how to be content. And we don't instinctively gravitate towards contentment. We instinctively gravitate towards greed, dissatisfaction, discontentment in life. This is something that as Christians we have to learn. So how do we learn it? I'm convinced that we learn contentment through time and experience. 
it's not something that you open a book and you, 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 know, you find this missing intellectual secret that you didn't know before. This is something that the Lord, it's like a journey the Lord takes you on as a Christian. He shows you the vanity of finding contentment outwardly in the things of the world over and over and over through experience and then he shows you the preciousness of finding your joy in your life and your contentment in him and as time goes by and you've been walking with the Lord you learn not to look outwardly but to look inwardly to Christ for your contentment. So let's take a few examples. Let's say you've got a husband that you have little in common with when you were married you were hoping for that storybook marriage, that fairy tale romance, but you've discovered that his interests and yours are not really the same. He seems preoccupied with other things. You might feel neglected or misunderstood and you look around and see other couples and it looks like they have the perfect marriage and here you've got a marriage that you've got to work on. It's not easy. It's difficult. And I'm not saying that you should uh, just give up on your marriage. <laughs> you should always pray that your marriage would reflect Christ in the church. But if that's your situation, you've got to learn to be content in your marriage. Let's say you've got an inoperable brain tumor. Let's take example number two. And nothing the doctors have been able to do is going to stop the growth of that tumor. You're going to die from it. You have prayed and fasted and the church has prayed and fasted but the tumor is still there and it's growing. You've got to learn to be content in your situation. Another example, let's say that you intensely dislike your job, but you have to have that job to pay your bills. And you have tried and tried to change vocations and careers. Nothing's ever worked out. You're still in that deadbeat job that you dislike. Well, you're going to have to learn to be content in that situation. That's God's will for you. Let's say you've struggled all your life just to pay your bills, just to survive. You've never gotten ahead financially. Here you are late in life. You don't own a home. You're still renting. You still struggle paycheck to paycheck. You're about to retire and you have no money saved up. You're going to have to live on Social Security, which is never enough these days. Uh, you're going to have to learn to be content with what you have. So, how do we learn contentment? Let's talk about that a, a little bit here. We learn contentment through life experience. That money, status, people, or possessions never satisfies us permanently. Now, it may give us a thrill temporarily. I'll grant you that. I don't know, maybe, maybe five years ago or so, we got our little red Toyota Prius, and we loved it. That little baby was, you know, we kept saying, this is the best car we've ever had. In addition to getting 40 miles per gallon, it looked pretty cool, you know, and it got all these neat gadgets inside. It was Debbie's car first, and then the company just bought it a few months ago. So, but anyway, five years later and three collisions later, we're not so infatuated with our little red Toyota Prius. I mean, it seems like we're always getting in a wreck in that car. <laughs> and then that new job that you thought would just give you so much joy and happiness is no longer your dream job after you've been there a couple of years, right? All of our possessions rust or get dented or deteriorate over the years. We can write Jesus' statement over everything that we experience in life. Everyone who drinks from this water will thirst again. 
John 4.13. You can write that over every experience in life. If you're drinking from this water, this worldly water, you're going to thirst again. There's nothing in this life that's going to give you complete and permanent satisfaction. That's the very first lesson we as Christians need to learn. We cannot seek our happiness, our joy, our contentment from this life. The second lesson is we need to learn, look away from the things of this world to Christ to find the real joy, contentment, and satisfaction that He offers. That's the place to find it. So it's, it's a pretty simple lesson, right? We, we learn, we can't find it here. Therefore, we have to look away from that to Christ. That's pretty simple, but if you learn that lesson and live by it, you will have contentment in your life. If you don't live by it, you won't. You'll be restless, you'll be irritated, you'll be frustrated and upset because you're looking in the wrong place for contentment. Now let's look at the, fir the third truth here. Contentment is in Christ. Look at verse 13. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. After Jesus said that everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, he said, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Now in verse 12, Paul said he learned the secret of contentment. I believe verse 13 is that secret. He tells us he learned the secret, and then he tells us what it was. The secret is that he could do all things through Christ who strengthens him. That was the secret of contentment. Now sometimes we look at this promise in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, and we think, oh, that means I can do anything. That means I can fast for a whole year and never die. You know, we just come up with crazy ideas. When he says all things in verse 13, he's talking about in context, I can do everything I need to do to be content in humble situations or in prosperous situations. He's talking about contentment. That's the context. And when he says I can do all things, I can do all things I need to do to be content whatever the Lord brings me through in life. Amen. But how? Contentment is about being satisfied inwardly. And Paul had learned that even when he couldn't be satisfied outwardly, he could always be satisfied inwardly because Christ dwelt in him. When a dearly loved family member dies, Christ still dwells within us. Nothing's changed. When we lose our job, Christ still dwells within us. When we have a terminal illness, Christ still dwells within us. When we can't pay our rent and we don't have any money to go buy food, Christ still dwells within us. Nothing has changed. Nothing can change that if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ. Christ is the ultimately satisfying one. This world won't do it, but He will. Listen to these words from the Psalms. This is Psalm 90 verse 14. Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Or Psalm 145, 16. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Or Psalm 63, 5. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. 
Brothers and sisters, when your life is not the way you wish it was, you can still be content. Why? Because no matter what's going on in your life, Christ still dwells within you. And Christ is the one who satisfies. You can draw upon His fullness. If you're constantly trying to find satisfaction in your outward circumstances, you're always going to be frustrated. Always. Maybe it would be a good idea for us when we find ourselves frustrated to ask ourselves, what is making me frustrated right now? Am I looking to Christ? What am I looking to right now to find my satisfaction? And I've got a, a pretty good idea, a pretty good guess. It's not going to be Jesus. It's something else. We've got our eyes on the wrong place at that moment. So I just want to ask you this morning, how are you doing when it comes to being content? How are you doing? Are you dissatisfied with your financial situation in life? Or your marriage? Or your health? Or your job? Or something else that I didn't even think of. Those are just the ones that occurred to me. But when you think about your own life, are you content? If you feel yourself upset or frustrated, that's your cue. I think the Holy Spirit's nudging you to look to Jesus at that moment. To, f to find in Him what you need. You guys know what I mean by that experientially? Do you know what I, what, what I mean by finding what you need in Christ? It's hard to describe what I mean, but it's, if you've experienced it, you know what I mean. It's, it happens through communion with God. It happens through prayer and fellowship and worship and relationship with the Lord. When you have that real relationship with the Lord, you experience a fullness coming from Him that can satisfy you. It doesn't matter what you're going through. The Lord is present. The Lord is able to fill whatever needs you have in your life. You might be in a place of need today, or you could be in a place of abundance. That doesn't really matter. Both, both people, those who are living in prosperity, those who are living in poverty, both people need to find contentment in Christ. The one who's living in Prosperity, they need to learn not to look to their prosperity for their satisfaction. They need to look to Christ alone. And those who are living in poverty, they need to learn to look to Christ as well. Both, both people do. That's what Paul tells us in verse 11 and 12. He had learned the secret in, in both situations. So no matter where you're at today, you need the same secret of contentment, which is finding it in Jesus Christ. I hope that each one of us here at the bridge will be a worshiper of Jesus Christ. If you are not in the habit of spending time worshiping the Lord daily, I just exhort you to do that. Spend time alone with God, pouring out your heart to Him, falling down before Him, just like they do in the book of Revelation. If we had crowns, take them off and throw them before His feet. Ascribe to Him glory and honor, wisdom, power, might. Find in Him your all in all. That's going to be the secret of your contentment in life. That relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ can be enough for you. And if He is enough, you're going to be content. And you're going to have a life that you enjoy and the Lord is pleased with. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your words here. They're instructive to us, Lord, and 
We are ashamed at how discontented we can be in life. We're ashamed that we look at the wrong places, that we're looking for things in this world to satisfy, when all along, Lord, you're holding out your hands, inviting us to come. So we've made that stupid, foolish error of instead of looking to the fountain of living water, we're looking at broken cisterns that can hold no water. So Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us here at the bridge to learn to enter into a vital, living relationship with our Lord and to find our all in Him. To enjoy the things you give us in life, but to find our all in you. So Lord, please work that in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.